Welcome to the ValleyHoopsInsider.com podcast. Uh, ValleyHoopsInsider.com, we like to take a lighthearted but thorough look at the Missouri Valley and Ohio Valley conferences. I'm Harry Schrader, your host, editor of the site. Glad you're with us today. Uh, I want to tell you about some of our sponsors here locally in St. Louis. Rhymes Heating and Cooling, 638-8181. They are an integrity-filled, honest company that will take care of all of your heating and cooling needs. My parents' house, my sister's house, my house. You will love those people. Give them a call, 314-638-8181. Tell them you heard about it right here on valleyhoopsinsider.com. Up in the Bradley and Illinois State area, there's a great golf course, the Rail Golf Course there in Springfield, Illinois, former home of an LPGA stop. I've been playing golf there forever. Listen, call them, tell them you heard about them at valleyhoopsinsider.com. They have a buy one, get one free special just for our readers, our listeners. That's the Rail Golf Course in Springfield, Illinois. And then finally, an outstanding outreach to West African orphans called the Wenpoide Project. You can get all the information from our website, valleyhoopsinsider.com. They reach out to both terminally ill and special needs children, orphans, in West Africa. And uh, I've been there. It's a spectacular place and a spectacular outreach and ministry to the orphans of West Africa. Well, our guest today on the podcast is Hall of Fame broadcaster Art Haynes. I should call him Super Bowl champion Art Haynes. He's got one of those big Kansas City Chief rings, at least on the way, I imagine, uh, after, winning, <laughs> after winning the Super Bowl. Uh, Art, and today, we're, as you know, we are trying to look back at some March moments. We're not going to have March madness this year, so we're having March moments looking back at some Missouri Valley successes in the NCAA tournament. First of all, though, Art, before we get to that, I do want to ask you, uh, how is a coronavirus lockdown going in Springfield, Missouri? Probably about like everywhere else. It's been incremental, but uh, then things have happened quickly. Only today, Thursday, has Missouri State University gone to a mostly work from home. This is spring break anyway, so the students are gone. But uh, the residence halls are open. Offices have been open. Uh, but today, pretty much like a ghost town. Uh, midnight Tuesday, uh, bars and restaurants were ordered closed. Uh, so many of them have gone to just takeout. And and obviously, um, not very much traffic except the grocery stores, the drug stores, and the liquor stores. Uh, those are places that are still, I was happened to be in one doing a uh, radio show yesterday. And, uh, you know, we're kind of trying to pull back, but come on, let's be serious now. We need to go to McAdoodles on Wednesday and do sports talk. And uh, so they were doing a brisk business uh, out there because uh, people are needing something to fill their <laughs> their idle time. Well, yeah, and I hear gun sales are way up across the nation. I would think that would be prime real estate for you to do a remote from some gun shop uh, down there in Springfield, Missouri sometime soon. <laughs> Yeah, I'd either feel very safe or very unsafe, so we, we may not do that. <laughs> Longtime broadcaster, Bears, football, basketball, baseball, everything that has Bears attached to it. He goes all the way back to Southwest Missouri State University or college maybe at that time. But Art is with us today, and we did want to talk, Art, about the 1999 Sweet 16 run of the Bears. Before we do that, there was a little bit of a gap between Steve Alford taking that team to the 1999 uh, Sweet 16 and what we might call success in the NCAA tournament or even appearances in the NCAA tournament, wasn't there? 
Were you talking about before ninety nine? Yes, or sir. Since? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, it both. Been yeah, a total absence since. Right, right. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it was a fairly regular thing under Charlie Spoonauer. Uh, 1987, 88, 89, and uh, 90 and 92. Uh, five appearances there in a span of six years. And after Spoon's last game in 92, that was the only year the Bears won the Valley Tournament, uh, we went to Dayton. Uh, that was before the first four. This is an actual first-round site and lost to Judd Heathcote in Michigan State. And that turned out to be Spoon's last game at Missouri State. And uh, then the Bears have unfortunately made only one NCAA appearance since, and that was in 1999 under Steve Alford. Yeah, so uh, you go to the NIT the year after Spoon leaves, and then three years of empty, maybe four years of empty, then Alford takes them to the NIT. Two years later, they end up in the 99 uh, NCAA tournament and go to the Sweet 16. Tell us, give us one, only one, Charlie Spoonhour story. Tell us a little, th- tell the people that are too young maybe to remember Charlie Spoonhour a little bit about what made him tick. Well, he was uh, just possessed of the unique ability to uh, make you want to do well for him. And, and there are a lot of coaches and, and leaders that can do that, but he could get on you in such a way that you would, would want to do better for him uh, rather than in spite of him. And that really is a great skill. I mean, there are a lot of coaches and, and bosses that, that yell and scream, or at least used to, and, and that was their means of motivation. But, I mean, don't get me wrong, he could raise his voice, but usually he was able to use humor uh, to get people to uh, to buy into what he wanted to do. And he really was great with uh, – he, he made a lot out of not very much. I mean, not that his teams didn't have talent, uh, but I think the 99 Steve Alford team was – much more talented than, than most of Spoon's teams. But Charlie was able to get a lot out of what he had. He was a junior college coach. He was a high school coach. and He was really comfortable uh, getting guys to buy into what he wanted them to do and, and coach them up. I spend some time with Jay Spoonhour here periodically as we cover the Ohio Valley Conference. And, and Jay is a lot like his father in a lot of ways. Those he guys is. both have great uh, personalities and great senses of humor. Exactly. Uh, humor is something you think of. And, you know, the, our, our post-game shows uh, were, were just gold back in the day. And it was like, you know, I'm the straight man and, and I just throw the fat pitches and he did them over the fence. <laughs> uh, w- one night, uh, the, the radio station that carried the games had given out seat cushions. And these are, you know, inflatable seat cushions with about 40 sponsor logos uh, plastered all over them. Some, I'm told, still exist. Well, at the end of the game, and it wasn't a controversial ending, I think the Bears had won, but uh, somebody decided to sail their seat cushion from the stands down onto the floor. And that began just a torrent. It was a a monsoon of maroon seat cushions going end over end down into a pile on the floor. And Charlie came out to do the post game. He said, well, it's a good thing it wasn't cutlery night. That's exactly and that's right. And that's just typical. That's sure. typical spoon. That is typical. Good thing it wasn't cutlery knife or bowling ball <laughs> night or something, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, excellent. <laughs> hey, so in 1998, Art Haynes was the first year I came to Arch Madness. Illinois State wins the tournament. The Bears, I, if I remember right, were in the finals against yes. Illinois State. 
And so I uh, ended up broadcasting seven of those games that weekend, and I had to learn names like Candlebender and Fauntleroy. And tell tell people that aren't broadcasters, what's the process for a guy like you to make sure you get those names right? Well, most uh, reputable uh, Division One schools uh, have a pronunciation guide uh, on their roster, which is usually very helpful and, and sufficient. Uh, but in the absence of that, then you, you have to talk to the sports information director or somebody. And even so, then, I mean, for example, uh, Ali Farokmanesh right. at Northern Iowa, right. who hit the uh, one of the most famous shots ever to beat Kansas in the NCAA tournament. Um, I, I called him Farouk Manesh for a good deal of his time there. And, uh, I, I got a, I guess King Farouk or whatever, but, uh, got, got some nasty uh, input from a Northern Iowa fan about it. I said, you know, I'll have, you know, that my wife and I were at Big Cedar Lodge in Branson watching that game and she was taking a nap. And I got so excited, I jumped up and spilled my drink all over my Missouri State sweatshirt <laughs> when he hit that shot. So nobody was more excited about that than I. So uh, uh, I'm sorry. I, yeah. I want to be professional. I want to pronounce these people's names right. But that that was, I thought, kind of splitting hairs. But yeah, you do want to get the names right. No question about it. And again, I I've, think I've been pretty good with names through the years, but there there are some exceptions, obviously, as the Northern Iowa guy could tell you. Well, and some of those teams, some of those players, their names uh, migrate. Like even you remember his teammate, uh, Kajo Aheligba, was called, uh-huh. he was called several different things during his career. So, yeah, I mean, sometimes they end up changing their names. And the uh, a, a Missouri Valley team that will remain nameless uh, for this particular interview uh, I remember the sports information director this year telling me, because they had some names that you know weren't obvious, and I said to them, uh, I said, how do I say this? And he said, well, first of all, don't ask the coach, because he says I'm wrong. I'll tell you how to say I'm <laughs> right. So <laughs> we'll just leave that there. <laughs> so Yeah, and that's not unusual. That's I mean, right. A lot of coaches uh, uh, are, are not real good linguists when it comes to <laughs> getting their own players' names right. Yeah, so we have fun with all of those kinds of things. So 1999, uh, Steve Alford is there, and for just a brief time before he leaves to uh, Missouri State to go on to, quote-unquote, bigger and better things, but they go to the Sweet 16, and Danny Moore was a big part of that team, and he was kind of the guy in the middle, finished with almost 1,700 points at Missouri State. But this had a lot of different players that ended up with over 1,000 points in their career. Talk a little bit just about that team in general, if you can, Art. Well, I mean, there were guys that wouldn't have been there if it hadn't been for Steve Alford, and I guess you'd say that about any program, but Steve being still such a recent Indiana icon at that time, because it was in 87 that he led the Hoosiers to their last national championship under Bob Knight, and he comes here in 96 uh, after having played a few years in the NBA. So it's it's still pretty recent, and Steve Alford, I know, is still a big name in Indiana, but was a huge name then. So about half the team was from Indiana, and Danny Moore was one of them, even though he had spent a year at Miami of Ohio, but he was an Indiana kid, and so he transferred upon Steve Alford uh, getting the job here. Uh, Kevin Alt was Indiana Mr. Basketball, big get. Uh, Ryan Bettenhausen uh, of the racing Bettenhausen family, uh, but then William Fauntleroy, the point guard, Gary, Indiana, really was a, a key guy. They all were. Uh, 
uh, Danny Moore, one of the all-time greats in Missouri State history, uh, probably should have his uniform number retired, and I think that will happen eventually. And he still comes to several games a year, lives in the St. Louis area, very loyal to the program. But Fauntleroy hit, and we talked about uh, for Oakman Ash, a great shot for Northern Iowa, uh, maybe the biggest shot in Missouri State history in the quarterfinals of the 99 Arch Madness. The Bears are playing Indiana State, and Bears did not win the regular season. They lost on the final night to Evansville, and just a, a miracle by Marcus Wilson, who's now doing some broadcasting. But Marcus hit a shot from out of the corner, and you, usually corner shots, they either you know go in or, or don't, and this hit the rim. It hit up on the backboard. It spun around, and it went in, and, and that's what beat us. So Bears had not won the regular season, uh, and here they're in trouble in the quarterfinals the first night. And Fauntleroy hits a deep three at the end of regulation to send it into overtime. And had he not done that and we lose the first game, we probably don't make the NCAA tournament. But uh, but he did, and, and Bears were able to at least uh, advance uh, enough to have that on their resume and, and have the opportunity in the tournament and then beat two Power 5 schools on the way to the Sweet 16. It's a long story, Art, but in 1998, first tournament I ever go to, I ended up announcing seven of the games. It just fell in my lap on Friday night. Back then, that's when the tournament started. And, yeah. uh, and, and But back in the day, local radio couldn't broadcast the game, so it went to like national radio or something on the Monday night or whatever. And I had, I had national broadcasters asking me, how do you say this Fauntleroy guy? How do you say Candlebender? <laughs> you know, there was, you know, it was funny times. So in 99, they do uh, go into the uh, NCAA tournament. We mentioned Danny Moore. He, had, he came, he averaged 16 and a half and six rebounds. He was a shot blocker, about 6'10", if I remember right. And, uh, and he was really strong in that NCAA tournament. Has a double-double against Wisconsin, has 25 against Tennessee. Tell us more about his game. Yeah, and we only scored 43 against right. Wisconsin, but, but they only had 32. Um, well, I mean, he was a shooter. So whereas now the Bears have Gage Prim, who's more of a back-to-the-basket traditional center, I mean, Danny was long, and he, he did, as you say, have a presence inside, no doubt. But he could shoot. He was he was really a fine shooter from mid range, and that was what I think of him the most. That he would he would get opposing centers away from the basket, and uh, he he just would get them farther out and, and open things up for other people. But he he could make the outside shots. So he he truly was a multi skilled player. And you talk about Kevin Alt. He was a dynamic outside shooter. Average about twelve that year in his junior season. But uh, he could ring it up from way out, couldn't he? There was a Sunday morning back then for a few years. There was a Fox Sports Midwest 11 a.m. Sunday morning game of the week involving Valley Schools, and we were Illinois State. And Steve uh, chose not to take him over to practice the night before, but rather uh, just got him in there about 9 o'clock in the morning and almost out of practice before the game and then we played at 11 and Kevin made eight threes and and we won that one so I remember that about him and also being our all-time steals leader so he really had quick hands and was a clever defender he wasn't the fastest guy in terms of foot speed but he really had a high basketball IQ 
in that first game, they play Wisconsin, ranked 18th in the nation. They were a five-seed. Bears were a 12. But, Art, you mentioned it, 43-32. Uh, talk about the strategy that Coach Alford used that day. Well, I mean, a lot of that was Dick Bennett. That was the way he played. And he never beat Missouri State, by the way. He was at Wisconsin Green Bay when we were in the old Midcon, which kind of morphed into the horizon. And uh, he never beat Missouri State, uh, played him twice a year, sometimes three times. And then you thought, well, he's at Wisconsin now and didn't beat us then either. Uh, and, and a great coach and a great man. But uh, they they played very deliberately. Uh, uh, the, the Bears probably were the quicker of the two teams. But the game was played at Wisconsin's tempo. And, uh, you know, if you look at the Missouri State offensive and defensive numbers, they really spike up uh, both offense and defense uh, when Steve was here. Uh, the team played at a faster tempo. They scored more points. They gave up more points because there were more possessions, certainly than Spoonauer and, and Mark Burnson, uh, who was between the two, uh, coached pretty much like Spoon in terms of style. And then Barry Henson came after. Uh, so uh, I think the Bears were, were trying to pick up the pace a little bit, and it was Wisconsin that played slowly, but uh, the Bears really guarded them that day and uh, and frustrated them. And then two days later against Tennessee, that's a 30-point game. I that's mean, amazing. Tennessee just quit, really, in the second half. They, they just slumped their shoulders, and the game was over. Uh, in that first game against Wisconsin, this is what I love about sports, Art. You can't predict anything. So Kevin Alt is a long-range shooter. He's a guard. He gets 10 points only. I mean, that's fine. 10 points is fine. And he gets a career-high 14 rebounds in, a, in an NCAA tournament game. I mean, you can't throw that in the computer and come out with that number. No, you really can't. That would be uh, like the, uh, the DeAndre Hopkins trade this week, and they said the Madden game rejects it because it's not realistic. <laughs> it would be the same for a you know, 6-3 guard to get 14 rebounds. But, uh, again, that was the kind of player Kevin was, just whatever, whatever it took. So in the second round, you guys, you mentioned the Tennessee game. They were the fourth seed uh, in that bracket, and you and the Bears beat them 81-51, a 30-point difference. You say maybe the Volunteers uh, gave up, but what was the critical thing? What, what were the Bears doing so well? Uh, just making shots, uh, running their offense, and, uh, you know, college basketball has kind of devolved at a lot of places into – uh, little one-on-one -on -one games and high ball screens and uh, just play off of that. But uh, Alford was from the Bob Knight school and it was true five-man motion offense. And uh, they really ran it to precision and, uh, you know, didn't force anything, but took good shots. That's usually a key to making a high percentage. And uh, that's what that team did, and that's what they particularly did that day. Uh, what struck me, Art, I went back and looked at some of the box scores, but but what struck me is that in one game, I mean, obviously Moore and Alt were, were big names in Fauntleroy. Fauntleroy gets only two points against Wisconsin, only six points against Tennessee. Uh, but then you got guys like Ron Bruton and, and Alan Phillips that barely contributed in one game, and then all of a sudden they're big in the next. They were a pretty deep team, weren't they? They were. Alan Phillips was a, a really good small forward shooter, good baseline shooter, had a soft touch. Uh, Ron Bruton was kind of an undersized post. We had Danny, of course, but 
uh, Danny really played more big forward, I'd say, and, and Ron would have been more of the center, even though he was considerably uh, lesser of stature. And then Ken Stringer was really kind of a glue guy, uh, about a six-five forward, and uh, played very good defense, played with a lot of heart, and uh, uh, was was a guy that really contributed a lot, I think, to the the fabric of that team. And you talked about Danny Moore in the game against Tennessee. He gets twenty-five and eight against them uh he really was the focal point i suppose that night but uh he was a guy that could play with the big people the big teams isn't he yeah i think he could have played anywhere you know it's at 610 with that shooting ability and, and smart you know just a smart guy uh I, and that's a key as you know a lot of the time at the mid-major level if you get a guy that maybe could play at the at the next level and i know it's all division one but but power five, if you, if you get one like that or two, then you're going to have a big advantage. Uh, I often think people end up where they should, you know, at what level that is appropriate for them. But if you got somebody that is uh, uh, capable of playing at a little higher level, you, you got you got a keeper. And, and Art, I want to take it to the personal level. When a team is, hasn't been to the NCAA in a number of years and then the Bears make it in 99, that's a big thrill for the broadcaster. Then you win a game in the tournament, which was rare for Missouri State back then. I think Spoon won only maybe one or maybe two NCAA tournament games. But then you one. win the, when you, when the, the, when you win that second one, and now we're going, the Bears are going to the Sweet 16. How sweet and how exciting, how memorable is that for the play-by-play broadcaster? Oh, well, my goodness. Uh, well, first of all, my family was with me in Charlotte for the, at the first site. And at the time, uh, kids were 14 and nine, uh, flew with the team, uh, flew back. Uh, and then, uh, the next weekend we're off to, to New York, uh, to play at the old Meadowlands arena where the Nets played. Uh, my wife and I went with the team and then get my days confused. I want to say maybe that was on Wednesday and we can play till Friday. Um, Thursday, we had a fan plane come and it arrived at about 1 a.m., I think, at Newark Airport. And one of our alumni, it was Julie Ebersold, who was our alumni director at the time, uh, kind of shepherded our two kids. We put our kids on that fan plane. Uh, my mother got them to the plane and then, uh, they flew and, and then Julie kind of took charge of them. And I got out of bed and went down at three in the morning and met them when the bus got to the hotel. And, the next day, uh, Missouri State people was running the streets of Manhattan and running into people that you see at the games and uh, some of them outside uh, on the Today Show that morning. It just that that's something that you never forget. And then play the game the next night and uh, playing Duke pretty close. I uh, think down about seven at the under eight timeout in the first half. Lost I think by seventeen. But I mean, this is a Duke team with. Battier and Nelton Brand, and I mean a lot of people whose name uh, still resonates in college basketball. So that was an awfully tough uh, challenge. But uh, the Bears gave them as close a game as they had until they lost in the national finals. Well, I, I told you I looked at the box scores. I think there were only five, maybe six future NBA guys on that Duke team. I think only only five or six. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It really, uh, uh, that was an opportunity lost. But no, it was that was a, an honor to be there at that level, playing a team of that magnitude. I think all of our players felt the same way. Do you remember Art Haynes? What you said at the end of the Tennessee game to tell people we're on our way to the Final Four, uh, to the Sweet Sixteen? 
Uh, just words to that effect. I really don't remember exactly what I said, but I'm sure uh, headed to the Sweet 16 is uh, was in there. Uh, but fortunately, or not, depending uh, on the, the drama of it, but the game was long over, so it wasn't like it was in doubt and building up a lot of tension to the end. Uh, it was kind of a kind of a coronation there those last 10 minutes until the clock went zero and and then it was official. Art, there were heady times coming for the Valley a little bit later, the one year that uh, really, uh, you know, that uh, the Bears were that one team that everybody thinks back to under Barry Hinson that didn't get brought into the NCAA tournament when they had, I think it was a 21 RPI at the time when RPI seemed to be the golden right. number. Uh, it has been quite a drought since 1999, hasn't it? Yes, it has. And if you had told me in 1999 that the Bears would not make another NCAA tournament appearance for 21 years and counting, uh, I would have uh, not believed you. But that has been the case, and the Barry Henson years produced an awful lot of close calls, and that was the closest in 06, uh, you know, with the 21 RPI, but it was the perfect storm against Missouri State that the Valley got four teams in the NCAA tournament that year. But the Bears weren't one of them. Bradley really jumped up and took the spot uh, with Patrick O'Brien and Marcellus Somerville, and they went to the Sweet 16, so they had a good team. But the Bears lost in the quarterfinals to Northern Iowa. And again, uh, that's death knell for a mid-major team. If you lose in the quarterfinals of your conference tournament, you've at least got to win a game and, and maybe get to the finals. I knew we were in trouble. Uh, after that loss, uh, my son and I normally, uh, and to this day, uh, get together in St. Louis, and he's 34 now, and uh, and and maybe go out and uh, have a few beers after the game is over. And we were too mad to even do that. We just stayed in our room, and uh, <laughs> and we were just angry because we 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 knew it was going to be a, a bad situation, and turned out to be the next week. You mentioned that 2006 season four. Missouri Valley teams go to the NCAA tournament. You mentioned that probably worked really badly against the Bears because nobody in that selection committee wanted five teams from the Missouri Valley Conference to to kind of wreck the party for the other people, and and that really did work against Barry and the and the Bears that year. Super unfortunate. Yeah, that just wasn't going to happen to get five out of the Valley. So, like I say, Bradley with its performance, and you can. You can argue that the, the conference tournaments are overrated in uh, who gets in the tournament. I, I don't, by that, I don't mean who wins it. That's automatic. But uh, that, that is true. I think the, the body of work over a whole season should count for more than winning one or two games in March. But that's not the way it works. Uh, Bradley then went on and represented very well uh, when, when they did as, as well as they did. And it was the Bears' misfortune to be left out. And then, of course, 2011. The Bears win the Valley regular season, beating Wichita State on the final day of the, the season, the biggest crowd ever at JQH Arena, which has been around only since 08. Confetti falling from the rafters. I mean, one of the best days of my life. And then the next week, they go and get to the finals, lose to Indiana State by four, and, and get left out of the tournament. They'd had a bad loss late in the season on ESPN to Valparaiso in the Bracket Buster game with Dick Vitale in attendance and everybody watching. and. Uh, again, uh, kind of was afraid that was going to jump up and bite them, and uh, and and that was the case. So there there have been some good Bears teams since 1999, but unfortunately, the, none of them have gone dancing. 
Final thought before we let you go on uh, Coronavirus Thursday. Um, the uh, Tell us a little bit about the Bears team this past season. You and I have talked often, and, and the Bears, uh, you know, people picked them to win the pre- preseason poll, picked them number one, and, and based on a lot of talent coming in. And, and people might argue that the Bears underperformed, uh, got it seemingly got it right late in the season, but then still couldn't make noise at Arch Madness. How do you evaluate this past season? What do you see going forward for the Missouri State Bears? Well, I think they really did underachieve. And, uh, uh, of course, Dana Ford, one of my favorite coaches we've ever had across all of our sports, he's just so real and genuine and transparent. And uh, in the post-game press conference, when he was asked about the season, uh, he said, well, I'm sure I let a lot of people down. And uh, that's just painful to hear, but 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 honest uh, emotion coming from him. I, I think with good reason the Bears were favored to win the league this year. It was a good fantasy team. Great you know, fantasy they had, team, yeah. Uh, accumulated, yeah, a lot of talent from other places. Uh, and you'd think, well, this is uh, going to be enough talent to win the league. But unfortunately, it didn't make a very good team, except for a little stretch in February. Uh, they got going there, won six out of nine. And the catalyst, and this is really a great story, was, was a, a walk-on from Woodlawn, Illinois, named Ross Owens. It was a four-year walk-on and had barely played in his first three and a half years. But he was a great practice player. He'd dive on the floor, and whenever he was put into a game, he'd draw a charge. A year ago at Bradley, uh, he was in late in the game because of foul trouble. He had a, a, a crucial steal that really secured that win, which was a big win at the time against Bradley. Um but this team did not really perform as a team until they started out of desperation letting Ross start. And and not a great shooter or scorer, but uh, just a great team player. And his hustle and his defense rubbed off on the other players. And, and then you, you did see the team lifted up and, and playing more as a unit than it had up until then. But uh, unfortunately, the only two games in which that did not occur were both against Valparaiso the last week of the season uh, at Valpo and then against them uh, on the second day in the semifinals of the conference tournament. Uh, they ran really good, precise offense, kind of like those 99 Bears, and uh, they were healthy for the most part, and uh, Bears had a hard time guarding them. So it was a it was a disappointing, underachieving season, and a lot of departures now from the program. There were four seniors on scholarship. Uh, Ross Owens was a, a non-scholarship senior, um, another player, Josh Hall, uh, has announced within the last few days that he is entering the, the transfer portal, so he'll be gone. Uh, Tyam Freeman was an outstanding local player that sat out this year because he had a torn ACL, and now he's going to junior college to work on his grades. So uh, a lot of a lot of holes in the roster for next year, and of course, all coaches are prohibited right now most people from getting out and recruiting and doing things in person but you can still talk on the phone and text and and go through those things which which may be just about as as good and the bears do have two commits right now but uh, they, they got some roster holes to fill should be interesting season and like you i'm a big dana ford fan uh, I think I love the way he goes about his business and the, uh, the authenticity that you mentioned. I, I really appreciate that too. Covered him when he was at Tennessee state and just always liked that about him. Um, one, one of the times I asked him about one of his players, he was a guy 
that got a lot of steals, a lot of assists, a lot of rebounds, some points. You know, he was kind of a triple quattro guy, if you know what I mean. He got like four of everything. Yeah. And and I said to him, I said, what's his greatest skill? And he said, he works hard. He said, yeah. that's his skill. He works hard. And uh, so, you know, you're going to hear that from Dana Ford uh, all the time. So, Art, uh, as we project forward, obviously a lot of holes there in that particular team to fill. But when I think forward, I think past – you know, these next few months and we get past the coronavirus scare and all of that, I'm still of the opinion, I told this to somebody yesterday, that the Missouri State Bears need to become or should become what Wichita State used to be in the Missouri Valley Conference. I see the potential in the program, in the community, in the size of the university and and, and the facilities and so forth. Do, Do you agree that that is a a reasonable thought for me to be thinking. Absolutely. And the Monday after the tournament, Harry, I kind of went on, and I don't do this very often because I'm, I think, a lot like you. I I try to be very moderate and reasonable and logical and uh, don't get too carried away. But I went on a little bit of a rant on my local show on that Monday about that very subject, that, that with the departure of Creighton and especially Wichita State, uh, there is no reason Missouri State shouldn't be the dominant school in this league. It's the biggest school in terms of enrollment. Uh, it's a great community, and there are other great communities in the league. The facility is is Power Five. I mean, Steve Alford said it would probably be the second best arena in the Pac-12 behind Arizona. Wow. So, I mean, and and you can say the same about some other Power Five conferences. I mean, great facilities, the players' lounge. I mean, uh, everything that they've got. There are no excuses. And and that's really true across the board. And there there have been successes, of course, in baseball and volleyball and some other sports, not football. Uh, men, uh, women's basketball, now, now they have, in the last couple of years, uh, gotten back kind of to where they were. And that was really uh, so, so tough for them to have their season in because uh, that was a Sweet 16 team of a year ago with everybody back but one. And they were going to possibly have a chance to host a regional as a top four seed. So that's a sport in which uh, Missouri State has achieved maybe up to its potential, but uh, have not in the others. And uh, you, you really kind of got to look in, internally, I think. And I don't know what it is. If I did, I'd, I'd have all the answers. But, you could solve uh, it, this, right? This is run, yeah, this has run through several coaches and programs uh, that, that they've really not played up to the, the potential that, that you would think exists, given all the, the material and the uh, the circumstances here. Well, Art, we appreciate your time. I want you to stay safe, stay free of all the beer disease out there that is uh, threatening the nation. <laughs> and uh, right. really do appreciate your time reliving the 1999 March moments for the Missouri State Bears and, and touching base. It's always uh, good for us here in St. Louis and good for our website to touch base with you. You're such a wealth of information and and history and enjoyable to talk to. We really appreciate your time. Harry, my pleasure. Always good to visit with you. Better days lie ahead, uh, hopefully for our country and our and for our world, and uh, and eventually get back to sports. Absolutely right. That's Art Haynes. You've been listening to the Valley Hoops Insider Podcast. Remember, since you've been there, make it a better place. We'll talk to you again real soon with more March moments here on ValleyHoopsInsider.com.